Hey, Zero Block 30 listeners, you can find us every Tuesday and Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Pride members can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. You know how I get ready for St. Patty's Day? It's all about St. Practice Day because practice makes proper. Proper number 12 Irish whiskey is a rich and smooth blend of golden grain and single malt, aged four years in bourbon barrels. Or try Irish Apple, a delicious blend of Proper's award-winning Irish whiskey with crisp and fresh notes of Irish Apple. Join me for a proper St. Paddy's Day and find yourself some proper number 12 Irish whiskey. Pour the roar. Today we have, <laughs> we have six rounds in the old magazine. Let me scroll to the top of my page. Round oh number one. God. We got to update the old safety brief. Do not climb inside dinosaur statues. The fella in Barcelona is fucking up big time over there. Well, he was. Hmm. Crickets. Yeah. 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 Round number two. Belarus is losing their fucking minds. They stopped a dude for having a bomb on his plane, but it turns out he didn't have a bomb on his plane. They're actually just doing a little state-sponsored terrorism goofing over there in Belarus. And people all across the globe with names that we're not going to be able to pronounce are pissed. Uh, You say Belarus, I say Belarus. I was, first of all, sidetrack. I was going through because I wanted at least in my brain once i wanted to hear all these like kovetsnikov and hear how it actually sounds so i could get remotely correct the new guys they have reading the news for reuters suck i mean just the worst news voice it sounds like me like you me on a podcast that's fine if you tune in and you say give me the daily news brief and that guy shows up i don't ever want to hear the news again you gotta Mm -hmm. have it no it's got to be concise, clear. There can't be people tripping over words. So People yeah, talking gotta, over each other, 20 fucking tangents, you know. Yeah, it's got to be listenable. You can't Kate, you're still throwing shade about the tangents, huh? You're not liking the tangents. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, they're st- here to stay. Round number three, lawmakers <laughs> are shocked at the conditions of the barracks across the military. Uh, have, you guys never, have you never been before? What? This is what they need to do. Real quick, before we even get going, no, I'll save it for the round. Round number four, the Army turned off comments to their new recruiting video, so they're treating it kind of like a smoke show of the day post on Barstool Sports. Oh. Yeah, that one, the junior senator from Texas, old Ted Cruz, crying Cruz back at it again. He's he's very upset. He's constantly, I've never heard or seen anyone in my life so concerned about masculinity. Like, that's the least yeah. masculine thing you could do is constantly be worried about masculinity. Right. Coming from someone with yeah. very feminine hips, very delicate. <laughs> if you're going to talk about wrong that with much. that, yeah. Uh, round number five. I sat down with Sebastian Unger about his new book, and he told me about a time that he nearly died. I didn't know what to expect. Like we, I was sitting down with Sebastian, and he just throws that out there. He's like, "Oh yeah, I almost fucking died." Because I was asking him about, "You'll hear it, whatever." Uh, and finally, <laughs> round number six. Wake up, bitch! You got Firewatch. We're gonna have Firewatch that we're gonna give out, and that's gonna be presented by our good friends at BetterHelp. By the way, since we did the AMA, what episode was that? Tuesday, last Tuesday? Yeah, I'm like that. I've had several people reach out to me and said the process was so easy for them to do it. Yes, yeah. Good. They go in, they got because if you've done VA care and you've done any type of like through your normal insurance. I swear to God, man, like I'll do a personal story. This isn't part of the ad read or anything. 
when I, and just in case I say something fucked up, so, <laughs> official disclaimer, not part of the podcast. So when Kelsey needed a psychiatrist, like an, an adolescent psychiatrist is difficult to find, right? Like it, just in general, it's difficult to find. TRICARE has this list on their website, which I'm sure every insurance does, where it lists out like 50 fucking providers that you could go to somewhere in your 50 mile radius. I live in the ninth biggest city in the United States. Should not be an issue, especially since this town is called Military City USA. You would think that lots of providers would accept it. I am tired of these psychiatrists, psychologists, sending out all these little messages. Oh, you can't come here. We don't have a seat for you. We're not accepting new patients. Then get your fucking name off the new patient list on TRICARE. Call them, tell them to yeah. get up. Wasting my damn time. Well, that's one of the mm. biggest hurdles. When you're already in a hole, the process of getting help itself is so daunting. I remember, you know, I'm sure I know there's good experiences of VA and bad, but when I needed help and I went to the VA, they're like, well, first you have to go to these three other appointments and then we'll assess. And I'm like, I need help now. Like right now, I don't want to wait. Today. And it's a big deal that I even came this first day to seek it. So just help me now. So that's why sites like this, like that's amazing to hear that it was an easy process for people. And also, I had to call the VA because they sent me this letter. They want to do this re-fucking evaluation on me after I've been, I've been out like 10 years or something insane. And they, mm -hmm. they want to do this re-evaluation. So I was calling the VA because I had read article that the VA was making people redo their stuff. And it was just a glitch in the system that you're not supposed to. Because after five years, you're not supposed to have to go back for all these rechecks and all that shit. Well, I called them up. They picked up the phone. I was on the phone with someone at two minutes and 45 seconds, awesome. an actual person. It's amazing. That's very rare. But yeah. can I say another thing I like about BetterHelp? Oh, Katie Tangents. Love it. Getting in the game. Wow, Tangents. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're getting a little you... off topic here. BetterHelp.com and you click, you just, there's a button right there as soon as you go to the site, get started. And it breaks it down for you Barney style. What type mm -hmm. of counselor are you looking for? For yourself, for your child, for you and your partner? Click and it just... It's so foolproof. So even someone like Do they have a drop down it. box where you can say, I don't want an old as a counselor? <laughs> that, that's what, exactly what I would pick uh, after my last experience. So not on this my side. My wife was the same exact way. She, we were talking about it last night. I was like, I'm lucky that I finally have a counselor that I've liked that I've been with for like two years now. And she was like, not me. I fucking hate Barbara. Barbara's <laughs> the worst. <laughs> yeah. So, better well, so then why, does, why does she stick with Barbara? Why does she stick with Because of the process. I mean, I'm going to have to tell her about oh. BetterHelp. Maybe, maybe I get a special <laughs> coupon code where we get even more off. That'd be sick. Um, but we can't talk about that enough. We're going to talk about that in round number six. This show is brought to you by our good friends at 3Chi. Two things I really fucking love. We're really starting off this show with advertisers that I really enjoy. 3Chi, by the way, I picked up our, our pal, Mary Beth, that works at Barcelona. She works, she's like the liaison between marketing and sales and the content people. She has a grip of 3G underneath her desk. I went and just grabbed a whole shit ton of them, shoved them in my old carry-on. They don't say boo about it on the old fucking TSA. They don't care. You can get your Delta 8. By the way, legislation right now going through lots of states where they're trying to get rid of Delta 8. Did you hear that? So stockpile it while no. you can, my friends. Oh, Use that yeah. promo code and, uh, and get a lot. There's a bill that might be going through the Texas House. So listen, if you are listening to this show right now on a Tuesday and you live in Texas and you enjoy Delta 8 or basically any state, go use this promo code now, DBT 2021. Is that 
fear mongering. Did I just fear monger? But fear mongering is my favorite kind of marketing. It works on me every time. Half oh, the yeah. baby products I own are fr- because of fear. Do you want to kill your son? Exactly. So no I, mother I, does. I think it's Go very ahead effective. And suck those boogers out with nose, Frida. Exactly. Yeah. So I would hurry up right now before it's too late and get yourself that three chew, ah. my friends. I got to tell you, I'm still kind of hung up on this whole sucking the boogers out thing because I don't trust that there's a straw that just stops the boogers from going to the back of your throat. And then next thing you know, you got a booger throat. And I, for yeah, one, you don't want a booger throat, I've but never you do been. want a vape throat. You want a vape throat whenever mm-hmm, you're using sure. a little bit of three cheese so you can sleep wetter. If that happens to you, we can't say it well for sure, but personal experience for me, it did work wonders for me. Make sure you go to three cheese.com slash zero uh, slash zero. Wait, hold on. Yeah. No, my no I don't know. Three G dot. Just go three chi.com Use a promo code ZBT twenty twenty one. That's how you're gonna get it. You know, if you've been listening to the show, you know I like three G. Just go fucking get it. Help us out some, please, people. All right, let's get going with the actual show. I should probably get that out of my repertoire. Too. We're we're just changing all kinds of stuff because we used to have we used to have what did we have? Uh, Fortunate son. Now we can't yes. do that. So now I used to say, hit the music. Not there's no what the fucking music is there to hit. There's no so music to be music. hitting. It's from the jump before you even start talking. Yeah, Can I just do a different getting... song every week? Oh, what about Newark Spaghetti? What about my baby takes the morning train? I would prefer she... not because then that'll get stuck in your yeah. head for like ten years, like it did last time. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Hmm. You... Not really. And also, we related. might. What cons? We might run into some. Uh... Uh, some issues even though it's not the actual song right i could see Ooh. us still getting in trouble just for singing it because i'm so Ooh. spot on with it right do you guys exactly you sound just like the actual asleep? recording do you have trouble falling asleep because there's a song stuck in your head and you can't make it stop uh that song no. is called infant crying <laughs> <laughs> infant <laughs> sorrow it's really mine is even though i love the show hamilton i can't watch it because if i hear <laughs> you say the rise of my love the king george song if he does that that shit's in my head for like fucking weeks i I can't get it out Mm. another side note before we get going i read a tweet and i went and looked it up from a scientific journal actualpsychology.com is where it came from psychology journal did you know that half of the people in the world don't have internal monologues going on constantly no give me an example what do you mean so like people there's certain 50% 50% of the world just walks through life if they're not talking to somebody with not talking in their head. What? Yeah. And that, people, I don't and, believe that. And on the other side of the coin, I saw people tweeting about it that don't have the internal monologue. And they're like, how the fuck do you guys rest? And I was like, exactly. Like, if I could get rid of my inner self, because I just walk down the street, I essentially roast people the entire time. I'm like, look at this fucking idiot. Look at this dumb bitch. And that's just what I <laughs> But how do you even confirm that, that that's actually true? Because if you ask me, oh, do you have an internal monologue? How's there any way? I guess maybe there's some monitors you can hook me up to. While yeah, I've always thought that think, too I don't about know. colors. Because what I see is purple. What you see is your own purple. Is purple your purple? Is it the same purple for me? I'm just I don't glad know. no one I, can I, hear mine. No one can hear my internal monologue. That would be sick. Why don't you give us a taste of that? What would it you be? Know, what you, it, look what at a, right now? you look at a pack of hot dogs, you're like, how many of these could fit in my butthole? You know? And it's better that nobody. Probably not many because hot dogs are kind of smushy. I think right. once, mm-hmm. if you can, you maybe, like if you're like, uh, who's that? 
porn star that does all kinds of butt stuff. Uh, there's a few of them actually chaps yeah there's a lot of them lionel yeah. rhodes is the one that i'm thinking of though and she is like open like the grand canyon she could probably fit two hot dogs to start but then once you get really going with three hot dogs you try to fit a third hot dog in there smashed up like baby food remember the fan we used to have who would put hot dogs in his belly button <laughs> the what no i don't oh yeah i don't yeah he we did me a, did you see you probably didn't he sent a goodbye to the Chaps and Kate show when he had like, a, and he played Candle in the Wind and he had like a candle on his, inside his <laughs> belly button and it was just lit in the pool. Yeah, this guy used to send us videos of him putting the hot dogs that he could hold in his belly button like vertically. So anyway, cool. Yeah, very special. All right, let's move on to round number one. Uh, we are a couple minutes into the show. We're gonna get to the actual topics of the day. Round number one, this one comes to us from Catalina. Wow. Catalonia. 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 <laughs> I was totally like, I thought this, this story was from Spain. It is from Spain. I was right in my head, wrong when I was reading. So this one is about a 39-year-old man who was first reported missing until his body was found inside a large dinosaur statue as they tried to locate his mobile phone. As per the Guardian report, the Spanish officers were called to a statue of paper mache uh, stegosaurus in the Barcelona suburb of Santa something shit. After man and his son noticed something inside the, sta the statue, um, they got called out. First of all, if you die and you get shoved inside a dinosaur, I got to think Stegosaurus is way down the list of dinosaurs you want to die inside. Right. Yeah. Pachycephalosaurus wow. is number one. But Stegosaurus, isn't that the one? With, what's the one with the really long neck? That's Brontosaurus. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, so Brontosaurus funny. is a big bitch. Also, Leviathan, which is not technically a dinosaur, just a biblical creature. His tail swings back and forth like a cedar, according to the book of Psalms. Back in the day at the bars, uh, fun Kate, fun super hammered Kate, I would always, I would fill my mouth with drink and I would turn to somebody and I would say, I would say, guess, guess what I, what movie character I am. And then I would sneeze my drink in their face. And mm. I was the Brontosaurus from Jurassic Park when they're That's up in the tree. Okay. That's that little lizard thing that spits in Newman's face. No, no. When they're up in the tree, the little girl and the brontosaurus comes over and it like it sneezes snot all over her. I would like to apologize, Kate. I just yeah. Did you just mansplain just my favorite movie to me? Jurassic Park to you. I and didn't I, want to flip out. I was about to flip credit out. Credit to me. I can't get canceled for that mansplain because I said something before you even said something. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I can't technically. I just and I just mansplained mansplaining. To you you. mansplaining. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. Keep going. That was very meta. Double mansplaining. Yeah. Very meta. Keep going. Technically, that is like a double negative. They cancel each other out. So it's kind of like that movie. And I wrote the blog on this, but you have to kind of tread lightly whenever you're blogging about somebody that died, even though it's objectively a funny topic because you died inside a dinosaur, dude. Like I feel like if you if I died and I was inside a dinosaur. I feel like, yeah, you got to write about that because I died inside a dinosaur. Yeah, and I feel like there's certain people you're not that surprised. Like if I if I died inside a dinosaur, people would be like, yeah, you know, like if <laughs> yeah. if somebody else did, yeah, that'd be that shocking. Like if your kindly neighbor mm. did, but if it was me, I had one of my ex boyfriends at a brewery climbed inside. Like outside, they had a bunch of tanks as examples out in the picnic table area. And he was drunk and he climbed inside one of the little holes into a tank and he got stuck in the tank. The fire department had to come get him out. Have you ever gotten Jeez. stuck in something that you didn't want to? 
of many things. <laughs> uh, my first marriage. Uh, yeah, I my thought, first I marriage. Thought, How about that? I was uh, going to say, yeah, maybe a relationship. <laughs> yeah, but that's definitely like, I'm, I'm very, um, I don't like to be held too tightly. I don't, I'm very like, I get claustrophobic. I don't like to be squeezed and like feel like I'm trapped and stuff. So uh, that would be like a nightmare for me. But this guy had to have been drunk, right? Like, why else would you do that? Uh, yeah, they said that he might be drunk. They're waiting for the toxicology to report to come back. But I always feel bad for like police and police spokesmen who have to go through and say these kind of things in a very serious tone where they're like, look, don't be drunk inside a fucking paper mache stegosaurus. You might die because they have to. They said we found the body of a man inside. The, the, uh, this is even worse. Inside the leg oh, no. of the dinosaur statue. It's an accidental death. There is no violence. The person got inside the statue's leg and got trapped. It looked as though he tried to retrieve a mobile phone, which he had dropped. It looks like he had injured the statue head first and couldn't get out. I mean, that's exactly like what happened in Ace Ventura. It just is. That's a mm -hmm. nightmare, though. I mean, like, what a horrible fucking way to, I mean, that's fucking nightmare. But then yeah, they but wait, time out. It's, it's made out of paper mache. He couldn't just punch through that? Well, cons, you really underestimate the power of the Mod Podge. Like some of these paper machés that they're doing now, if you go out to Hobby Lobby and you get the extra strength Mod Podge, you're going to be just dealing with all kinds of strength there. It's basically like that woman who had Gorilla Glue on her head. Oh, also, yeah. yeah. Cons, you know Lucy the elephant down the Jersey Shore? It's like that's how big this this thing is. This dinosaur is huge and it was really it's probably Spain, it's probably pretty hot out too. So factor those things in together. Then he went down into like, and he was trying to get his cell phone of all things, which is why they think he fell in. That sucks. Do you Ugh. think he's sitting inside that that fucking stegosaurus leg, and he's like, "Damn, this is how I'm going out." Yeah, I had yeah. No idea. I don't know. Nightmare oh. fuel. But anyway, add it to the safety brief because I can see, uh, I can definitely see troops daring each other to climb inside of the mouth of anything, really. So. Yep, they had to issue a safety report. They had all the different military folks pop up and say that they couldn't they no longer that's blacklisted inside a stegosaurus is absolutely blacklisted all right. the way across europe the u.s central command make sure that they took care of that and also spain stepped up to the plate and they said get that fucking paper mache thing out of here it's a hazard mm -hmm. you got to do mm -hmm. that all right let's move on to round number two what do we got for round two kate we have is it belarus or belarus all i know is between russia and the ukraine and i should know more about it uh it's a country that i kind of forgot was there but anyway Belarus provoked outrage in the West after one of its warplanes forced a Ryanair flight from Greece to Lithuania to land in Minsk and arrested a passenger, dissident journalist Roman Protasevich. Protasevich? Probably screwed that up too. No, U.S. Secretary of State. You nailed Ant it on the second one. Okay, nice. Yeah, the second US one was right. Yep. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken called it a shocking act. More than 170 people were aboard the flight. The plane going from Athens to Lithuanian capital. Vilnius was in Belarus airspace when it was intercepted and forced to land in its capital of Minsk. Prodesevich, a 26-year-old dissident journalist and passenger, was then arrested. Imagine you're him sitting on there and all of a sudden the plane diverts and starts landing there. You're, you're so fucked. It's um, probably like so many of those shows that have you whenever you get out of a country and you can breathe deep like a sigh of relief once the plane takes off. Next thing you know, you're in Belarus's airspace, and they're like, you better land it right mm. now, mister. You yeah, especially because they are a close ally of Russia. 
and uh, its air traffic controllers could not force the Ryanair flight to land and instead gave the plane's crew recommendations. So, yeah, hey, but they you gave guys them the recommendation with fucking fighter fi- pilots. Like, exactly. That's not right. A re- if you're using fighter jets, that's not like a, a request. If you want to send up a request, fly fire off a flare. Maybe a flare, maybe a hot air balloon. A blimp? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, hot air balloon. That's very welcoming. They scrambled MiG-29 fighter jets to divert the flight as it neared the Lithuanian border. So they got them right near the border, following orders from strongman President Alexander Lukashenko. Ryanair confirmed that the crew of the flight had been notified by Belarusian air traffic control of a potential security threat on board. The plane landed and safety checks were carried out, but nothing outward was found, untoward was found, like nothing about, except for this guy, conveniently who they dragged off the plane. Incredible um, use of uh, untoward. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, people are describing it as a hijacking and saying Belarus's actions were dubbed a state, an act of state terrorism by Polish prime minister, who said it must not go unpunished. So yeah, does the anybody... whole European Commission is real fucking pissed about it too. So essentially, what happened is this guy is kind of like the Russian dude who got poisoned a couple months about months back, where he had to come back to Russia. Now he's in jail. That's essentially what's happening here, because Belarus has like a military coup. They are they are really using their military to keep power. They said that their democratic elections weren't actual and factual, and there's actual evidence that says that as well. And Russia is backing them. The EU already has a shit ton of sanctions across the board on Belarus. So Belarus is essentially relying on Russia. They're back to being a USSR state for the most part. They're getting all of their stuff from Vladimir Putin and what they want to do over there. And now it's the same thing with this guy. This guy was a descendant. He was causing uprising. He was giving out actual truthful information to the people. So they stopped the plane, got him off under the guise that there was a bomb on the plane. They knew there wasn't a bomb on the plane. Even the U.S., like the U.S. Secretary of State has come out and said that this is basically an act of war, what they did in, in getting this guy. And it's an act of state-sponsored terrorism. So it's pretty fucking bad. Pretty bad. Yeah. And does anybody know where he is now? The, the he's gentleman? in jail. Dude's in jail. Do, do we know if he's still alive in jail? Yeah. It's one of those things I wouldn't be surprised if he mysteriously passed in the night. It's crazy. And the shitty part about this is because they've, there are already so many sanctions. I run into this all the time with my kids. Like, really, the only discipline... Sanctions? Yeah, the only discipline... I sanctioned Kelsey with her cell phone. Like, that's my only real discipline tactic now that she's almost 16. What else am I going to do? There's not a whole lot else I could do. So I just take her cell phone. If she's already lost her cell phone and there's no more poop in the yard that she can pick up, like dog shit, I'm kind of out of options. There's not a whole lot I could do. I think that's how the world is in Belarus. That's a really good point because I think back to being that age and if I did something, what, I mean, I, I don't, you don't really send your kid to their room at that age, right? And that's like a blessing. Like that's where she wants to be. Yeah. In. Right. Oh man, that's tough. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't envy you, but awesome. you know who we really need to be upset for are all these people. Thankfully, nobody on the plane got hurt from what I understand here. Imagine who, whoever was on that plane, if they were going on like a vacation or something. And now are you seriously saying you feel bad for those people who are <laughs> not the guy yeah, who got dragged off to players? jail? I think well, you can feel bad scumbag. for those people too. Obviously, yeah. you feel the most bad. There's a hierarchy of feel bad. Yeah. But if you're yeah. sitting there, I would feel like a dick if I was the pilot and like actually landed there and then be like, ugh. <laughs> you know who probably feels horrible? Ryanair. That's an Irish airline. Oh my goodness. So sorry there. So sorry. Oh, yeah, that guy my, should get free Guinness my for goodness. his life. Yeah. 
that's tough it may be. yeah pretty pretty scary anyway um the charges for this guy he could be in prison for more than 12 years apparently so according to the new york times that's uh that's a pretty crappy flight you think you've had some rough flights <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly right kate uh, all right let's go on to round number three Round number three is going to be brought to you by our good friends at Rocky Boots. Rocky Boots is the best boots in the biz. I, this is no shit story. So I, I want to be one of those guys in a pickup truck that constantly has like duck boots or rubber boots in the back, like shoved in between the cabin and the bed. Right. I think those guys are so fucking cool. And I went out there to put my Rocky Boots in there. I did it. Drove around one day. Somebody stole my Rocky boots. So, Come on. And, no. and it was a day I really needed the Rocky boots because it's been raining here. It's constantly raining. Luckily, I have more pairs of Rocky boots. You should get more pairs too. If you go to rockyboots.com and the promo code ZBT, you're going to get 25% off. They have any kind of boot you need. If you're doing construction, if you're doing military stuff, I've, the shoes, the regular shoes are super comfortable. I would, I would venture to say nurses need the most comfortable shoes. Those must be comfortable shoes. I yeah, you can walk around all day absolutely like that. I think boy, it'll be fish. That was a pretty good force. It was really good. It was really that good. was. You may need. You may need to incorporate the forest voice into yeah, Ad Reads. Maybe for the third Ad Read, maybe I'll do that. That'll be good. Um, but for now, go to RockyBoots.com and the promo code ZBT. You're going to get twenty five percent off your purchase. Round number three. Much to do about nothing, I would say here, because a California congresswoman. Jackie Spire and uh, Representative Veronica Escobar from Texas, they went down to Fort Hood because there's all kinds of congressional attention on Fort Hood, rightfully so. Fort Hood's all kinds of fucked up about all kinds of shit. So they wanted to go and check out the barracks, check out the different battalion buildings and all that stuff. Basically, that's the story. The Congress, the Congress people went to the base and they saw the barracks and they said, this, this barracks, this is unsat for our military members. Uh, yeah, dude, no shit. They're always fucked mm-hmm. up. They have always been fucked up. They'll always be fucked up. Even since I was in, from way before that, I'm sure, they've all, they all said, oh, we're going to make taking care of the barracks a big priority. We're going to put all this money. No, you're not. No, you're not. And I want Congress people like Ruben Gael. Like he knows. He was, is a Marine. We have Kinzinger. Well, Kinzinger was an officer, so he might not know. We need some of the enlisted mm-hmm. folks to go just show up on base and be like, I want to see the barracks now. Because you know, even though they're just congressmen, when the congress people show up to base and they say, I want to so- go see the barracks, that place is field day all day long. It's cleaned all day long, and it's <clears> going to be the best one they could possibly see. And these yeah, the bad part about this, sorry, hold on. The bad no. part about this is that they said the service members took them to what were supposed to be some of the nicer barracks right. on post. So you can only imagine what the rest of the post looked like. And they said it was the worst they had ever seen. And that's an exact quote. So yeah, that's, that's telling you something. Go a that's couple blocks rough. down the road. I bet it's worse. <laughs> my, my thinking is that these service, especially if you haven't served, I think Congress people who've never served, because if you've served, you're yeah. like, ah, I've lived in worse. You know, if you've never served to go see it, I think they need to do an episode of Undercover Enlisted. Oh, where Congress people, idea. some old congressman gets made to look like some young boot and they... Hello, fellow I mean, some cool of them teams. do look like little young boots, like where you pull them in there and they go in there. That's yeah. a fucking great idea. Undercover boss, those, undercover the, enlisted. Uh, if he wasn't such a cunt, we can. That Madison dude looks like uh, he could fit in. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. That's, never mind. that's tough. Mm-hmm. 
So they had the barracks that they're doing. They're cruising through there. I just think just do a spot check. That's what I would like to see. I would like to see Joe Biden do it. What if Joe Biden, next time he needs to go to Andrews, just pulls through and be like, I want to see how the troops are living right now. Go to that barracks. Yeah, exactly. There should be no warning. That's the exact thing. There should be no warning, just total random spot checks. That way everybody's on their toes and they're keeping the barracks nice. But could so. you imagine if it was like a Marine Corps base and the president rolled through and you had like a leftover pizza box that you didn't take out or your room was trashed? Oh. He's like, open up this hatch. I doubt he would say hatch, but open up this door and you open it up and it just looks like a fucking rat's nest in there. Oh yeah, you, you get murdered. I think at. the first sergeant might like legitimately combust on sight. Yes, absolutely, hundred percent. But uh, help me out here. Help me out here. Okay. What is do you think the overarching problem with the barracks? Is it because they're old? Because I think the NCOs must, and maybe I'm wrong, but I would imagine they do a good job of making sure they stay clean and in proper working order. So why is it that the barracks all of the military fall to such a low standard? That you think that barracks would be in proper working order, that any any single element that makes living acceptable and like comfortable would be in any sort of working order for the lower enlisted is laughable, L yeah. officer. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, really... And the NCOs that are there, they're so fucking pissed that they're there because if they're an NCO living in the barracks, they've probably been in at least three years, four years. So they've been dealing that in the barracks for two and a half years. And then by the time they get to sergeant, you're just so checked out whenever you're in the barracks that you just don't give a fuck. And there's certain, there's certain things like no matter how much you keep it clean, like if there's enough like vermin, mold, shoddy construction, like it's saying here, like lack of repairs and maintenance and stuff like that because troops are told to suck it up suck it up suck it up if you're asking for it to get better you're considered like a little bitch almost it's like this whole crazy attitude that keeps the cycle going and who do you complain to you can't complain to your fucking chain of command they don't care right they don't care right by and large the chain of command does not care every chain of command every officer that's like four uh oh four and above they know it's been that way they ain't doing anything about it either there's yeah there's other priorities yeah, there's other priorities. But, even though it should be a t- like having the safety and the health. If you're living in a place like a lot of these folks, you remember the story like two years ago on Lackland where so many people had black mold and the news had to mm-hmm. come out and they pulled it out. As soon as the news gets involved or somebody else gets involved, every swinging dick and tit on Lackland knew that those barracks had black mold in it. They knew it, but they didn't want to take it because if you do it, then you're pulling out of your budget somewhere. That line of appropriation that has to come from somewhere and nobody, no commander, no base commander wants to have tens of thousands of dollars taken from their beautification where they can add something that looks fancy on the outside because an E4 is living in black mold. It's just the way it works. Yeah, they don't care. Um, I wonder though how much now that we are hopefully, fingers crossed, not going to get my hopes too high, but hopefully not going to be fighting any wars for the years to come. If we can shift some of that budget and rectify the on-base housing situation across the military, I doubt or is that just, just gonna, a we're just going to build bridge something too far. fucking fancy that we don't need? Do you, there, there was just a story that came out on military.com right before we started recording that they're already decommissioning some of the F-35s. Already. Like, yeah, I mean, five, what are they even doing? Million dollar planes. They're already just being like, oh, these are too old. Yeah, that's crazy. And an A10 will that's fly. That's unbelievably forever. crazy. Yeah, so maybe just do a spot check. That's all we want here. Let's move on to round number four. Okay, what do we got for round four? 
Round number four, the Army has disabled comments on a series of new recruiting commercials meant to reach potential recruits from all backgrounds after being bombarded by criticism that the service is woke. The new series called The Calling posted to YouTube on May 4th showcases real soldiers and their stories in an animated format. One video features a corporal who discussed her fairly typical childhood in which she took ballet, played the violin, and marched for equality with her two moms. She was looking for a challenge, she said, and a way to prove her inner strength when she decided to join the army. Another video features a first lieutenant who immigrated to Florida from Haiti with his family as a child. He joined junior ROTC in school and decided he would join the army during a touching ceremony marking the anniversary of September 11th. But just a week after the series was launched, the Army said it had to disable comments on the videos after seeing a significant uptick in negative commentary, which were not aligned with Army values. Out of respect for our soldiers and their families, we have disabled the comments, a spokesperson said. <laughs> it's unclear what the comments specifically said, but the series has been used by conservative news we sites. We have a pretty good idea. And yeah, we know. Yeah. And others, <laughs> it's an example know. of the military's wokeness. The Pentagon, however, sees it differently. Amid worries that America's recruiting talent pool is getting increasingly smaller, military services have worked to recruit and retain service members of all backgrounds, genders, and ethnicities. And I, I get it when I think still, when I think military, I typically picture like a, a young white male. I do, like that's exactly how I picture it in my head. I'm like, that's the military in my head. And it's not that. There are so many people from different backgrounds and and it is diverse and diversity is a strength. So I don't understand what people are so upset about. I, I really don't get what they're, because everybody's acting like you have to be the last action hero in order to be in the military. Like right. Ted Cruz mm. coming out and saying, I want him to be like Jason Bourne or fucking whoever, Mission Impossible, dude. To me, that's just, it's just ridiculous. There's so many other jobs in the military that are very important. One, when you only have those type of people in the recruiting video of somebody that's a sniper popping out of the fucking mud with looking like a frog man, that's the only, those jobs might be 0.005% of the entire military. Right. That's not what a majority of the military does. The majority of the military does exactly what this video does. And Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz is, this is, this video is exactly what he did when he ran for president. His entire campaign videos where my family escaped from communist Cuba. We went to Canada. They immigrated to the United States. So I had the chance to run for president. What the like right. woke story, immigrant story. That's your fucking family, Ted Cruz. It's and your he family, said dude. this, he shared a video of a, of, of course, this Russian military commercial that has come out where it's like, Dudes, it looks like a really sexy gay bar, to be honest. It's really hot. Those, <laughs> very I sexy will say, dudes. in defense of that video, hot. Hot, very hot. Yeah. But so he shared this Russian- Not as hot as Sweden. Remember Sweden's recruiting video? Oh, so hot. Good God almighty. But he shared this Russian recruiting video saying, perhaps a woke emasculated military is not the best idea, saying, wow, look, Russia looks good. No, we're over here with diversity. Lame. Um, so- <laughs> This coming from a man who let the president shit all over his wife and then was a total cook about it. But anyways, I uh, can't, I, I'll never, ever get over that. Cons, can you imagine a scenario in which I just completely embarrass your fiance and just rip her to pieces in front of the entire Barstool community? And then you being like, yeah, you know what? I'll still be on this show. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, because in, in reality, you guys just team up together and, and, and shit on me collectively as a partnership. So I know I'll never have to worry about that. Exactly right. Um, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's just, I mean, it's just such a dated 
viewpoint of what the military is and, and Cruz, what he said, it's just absolutely asinine. Either you can't play both sides of the fence in this one. I think we should celebrate that our military is so diverse and that everybody comes from a very, very different background. It's not, you know, Kate, to your point, that everybody looks the same way and they're all from the same upbringing. I don't think any two people in the military are the same. Um, and I, I think it's, you have these people who are living in a different generation who are, who are commenting on this. And also as somebody in a previous life who had to work on like training videos, everybody hates training videos and recruiting videos. There's no way to really do them well. So the fact that they thought that they were going to have these comments and be amazing and didn't just disable them from the jump is kind of crazy on their part. Imagine being this young corporal or specialist, I think, the one that has the two moms, and knowing that everybody in your unit, because she's currently stationed in South Korea, that's a small spot. Everybody knows who she is because she's in the video. Imagine being her, being so proud of your story and what you've done in your life to get to the point where you're at. Being a special in the Army is nothing to be ashamed of. It's not a woke thing. It's just a human thing that you volunteer to serve. And then to have a sitting U.S. senator be like, her story, not good enough. We need somebody else that looks masculine. Yeah, and like Fox yeah. News, this headline, Army recruitment video features lesbian wedding. Like that's not the main story of what that video was about in any way. They, they, Fox is not upset, but they know exactly who their audience is and what gets them wrestled and what gets the views. It's, it's just, we're so past it. It's 2021. And the only other thing I'll say is like how I picture when you say US military, it's like white male, like that. I can see that keeping diverse people from, wanting to join from being like, oh, no way, I wouldn't fit in when they would actually. So I think these commercials do make a difference, do show people from all sorts of backgrounds, because I don't think civilians typically think of it that way. So I, I don't know. I don't understand what the fuss is about. But and I last think- note, Last yeah. note here, I'll say, is that I am so proud of the army, like of their leadership, because typically when a senator says something, somebody in the executive branch says something, the military doesn't get involved. But lately, when somebody's coming at the military specifically or the troops, not necessarily policy, the military doesn't do this and defend its policy in Afghanistan. They don't give a fuck. They take their orders from the president. That's just the way it goes. Policy is policy. But when they're people are starting to come at the troops and disrespecting the troops, the military is like, ah, not so fast, my friend. Like it's, it's rare that you see a major general take a shot back at somebody. And this guy did it. He said, actually, mm -hmm. the story is fantastic. The way that she is, is a, a testament of what she's gone through and how her parents raised her. We're proud of her. She's doing a great job and she's exactly what we want out of our young enlisted soldiers. I think that's fucking great. That's exactly what needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So they just <laughs> got to stick to their guns and not, not listen to doughy bags of milk from Texas who want to yeah, run their mouth about guy. what our military I don't think it's any like. surprise, but Ted Cruz is just, I mean, he is the least Texas dude. John Cornyn, almost the same exact like policies as Ted Cruz. I don't hate John Cornyn at all. Like John Cornyn, I don't agree with a lot of the things that he says. I don't mind John Cornyn. Ted Cruz is just a, a, a little sack of Kate's baby shit. That's just- Don't, <laughs> don't denigrate my baby's shit that way, please. Well, what about baby <laughs> shit that was put into like a diaper genie bag and set inside a crock pot for like a couple days? That's fine, but not my babies. Ooh, okay, yes. Else's baby. All right, if you want something else besides a crock pot full of shit, go with Trifecta Nutrition because trying to pitch, that was a good transition. It was uh, great. All of our meal plans are created by chefs and nutritionists to help people get into the best shape of their lives. Trifecta meal prep does not suck. 
meal prep if you have you guys ever done meal prep like on instagram style where you go get your little tupperware and you put your your half a serving of brown rice and chicken and all that stuff nick saying that he has that's the worst it is the absolute worst man like one because you know eventually you're gonna have to wash all 27 of these tupperware things (laughs) and you can't tupperware is made in such a way it's almost impossible to make it look good inside the dishwasher you're gonna have little crumbles of whatever chipotle chicken that you're having for the eighth day in a row it's gonna smell like old broccoli these one you just throw them in the trash and you save 40 percent if you use the promo code 040 040 from trifecta nutrition is where you need to go if you're kato if you're oh yeah kato what are you something else vegan they have vegan meals they've got mm. it all really i'll tell you one thing i'll never be a vegan i'll i'll Why? go this far i would rather die than be a vegan whoa whoa it's pretty far wow. that's pretty far you i don't understand people that don't eat carbs i don't understand people that it can be vegan and you just what are you just eating eggplant every day like that's what you have is eggplant <laughs> and mushrooms all the time eggplant and mushrooms well, this I guess so. That. Maybe if you have some dietary restrictions, but you yeah. would take that back if you could see what this this place does. True. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to round number five. This interview is one that I've wanted to do for a long time. Sebastian Unger has been, I would say, on our top ten list for a, quite a while, and he did not disappoint. Just an incredibly nice dude, and his stories about how he gets it. One, I would be upset with him after he or if I was him. After he wrote The Perfect Storm, starring George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg, who is a fat piece of food blister right now for a, for a movie that he's got coming up, this dude got called the next Hemingway. When you, That's tough. When you write a, a story like A Perfect Storm, which is based on a true story, and you get called the next Hemingway, that's a lot of pressure. A lot. And he has risen yeah. to the occasion with Restrepo and a couple other big time documentaries. He's got a new book coming out. And then the book, he's going to tell us about the next book that he's about to start writing about whenever he almost died. A story about what happened when he almost died. Here it is. It's going to give you big time Dennis the Menace vibes. If you don't, just go, go to your uh, cupboard and get a big old can of beans. Eat beans during this interview. <laughs> it's a big bean interview. Mm-hmm. Here it is. Now it's Zero Block 30. We're privileged to have one of the people that I've said, I believe it was about a year ago, I gave my top 10 list of people that I wanted on the show at some point. And Sebastian Unger was him, was one of those people. Now he is finally on the show. He's got a new book coming out, which the premise is unbelievable, where you and some of your buddies, a couple of your pals, decided just to go up railroad tracks. How, how did you decide to do this where did it come from did it just pop in your brain because you were bored during the pandemic or where where did it come from yeah it's a good question yeah so my you know my book's called freedom and i wanted to write about the concept of freedom and how we attain it and long before that idea came to my head i i had decided with my friend and uh, colleague tim hetherington who i shot restrepo with a documentary about American troops in combat. Um, Probably, I would say, the most realistic combat documentary that there's been in the war on terror. It's fantastic. If you haven't seen that, you need to check it out. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we were on our we were going to D.C. to try to sell our film to National Geographic. They eventually ended up buying it. Um, and on the way down to the Amtrak, um, I, you know, I was just staring out the window the whole time, and I said to Tim, um, I said, you know, there's a way to walk this entire thing, like along the tracks. Like there's dirt 
the dirt bike trails and maintenance roads and cornfields and junkyards and you know whatever like there's uh, you could do it you could we could walk from dc to pittsburgh uh, from dc to uh, new york and um before we had a chance to do that together he was killed in libya covering the libyan civil war and um i i just thought i still want to do that and i got i i, I found a journalist who was with tim when he died he was holding his hand actually in the back of a rebel pickup truck they loaded him into and and uh a Spanish journalist named Guillermo Cervera, who's an amazing photographer. And then a couple of combat vets from out at Restrepo who were out of the service. And I said, let's, let's just start walking. And the interesting thing about railroad lines, as opposed to the Appalachian Trail or a bike path or whatever, is that it's no man's land. I mean, you can sleep, you know, there's homeless people there. You can sleep there. You can, there's no cops, really. There's no, like, floodlights or surveillance cameras. You can, whatever. It's just it's not wilderness, but it's not society either. It's some weird blend. And that was very appealing to us. Of course, it's totally illegal. And we had to avoid the cops the whole time. There are railroad police um, that you do have to figure out how to avoid, but you know, otherwise it's pretty uncontrolled. And we just started walking. We got to Philadelphia and turned west and headed for Pittsburgh. We walked um, multiple, we did multiple trips over the course of a year. We walked in every different season and we wound up, um, outside of uh, a small town called Connellsville outside uh, Pittsburgh. That is, I mean, been doing it several times too is just something that most people wouldn't want to do. Every time I hear of the old railroads, I think of the song that uh, Randy Travis covered, like the King of the Road, where you're, you're just out there and you have, you just imagine like an old school hobo where you're just going down the railroad track and seeing things. Looking back, was there ever times in that where you were nervous about your safety be- between some of the people that you came across? Oh, we were nervous about our safety all the time. You know, these are active railroad lines and there's all <laughs> kinds of things that can kill you out there. You know, some, some, uh, you know, strapping can come, can come loose from a, a, a load of, uh, you know, timber on a, on a, a flatbed car and, you know, cut you in half, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen. And then there were some interesting characters out there. Um, you know, one guy, you know, we came across, yeah, we, one guy had a gun, you know, he was, we were, I don't know, it was a complicated situation, but he had a gun in his back pocket and it was, um, he felt very threatened by us, which is never good if you're not armed and he is, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so, um, and then, then another time someone just started shooting at us. It was a lot of gunfire in Pennsylvania. I mean, all the time. Gun, I mean, it sounded like a, a sort of low-grade insurgency most of the time. Mm-hmm. And we were walking up the Juniata River along the railroad lines. And, um, well, you know, one time someone cracked about five rounds over our head. And, uh, um, you know, we'd all been in combat and we all had the predictable reaction to that. Um, and um, But it was okay. It was all right. And I, I think one thing that's interesting about your story is like doing things like this. And it's been very varied. And I was reading some articles about you, but You've been called the the next Hemingway and things like that because of some of the books that you've written, like A Perfect Storm. But I always find it interesting to talk to an author who has a book that really catches on with a certain segment of society like veterans or, or, or military members like Tribe did. Looking back now, because that book, that book was published in 2016, do you... Do you see anything now that would make any of your thoughts for Tribe any different? Uh, you know, everything that I've done since I wrote Tribe has reinforced my feeling that, you know, the essential message of that book is correct, that uh, we're so humans are social primates. 
we desperately need community. Uh, we, most of us are prepared to put the, the welfare of the group ahead of our own personal welfare. And, and when you ask people to do that during a hurricane or a tornado or put them in a platoon and send them into combat, when you ask people to do that, not only will they do it, um, they, they will look back on those days as the most meaningful of their lives. Uh, in other words, people want to be in service to their group. They actively want to be, and it makes them feel good. Um, admissions to psych wards went down in London during the Blitz. They didn't go up, they went down mm -hmm. um, because people felt that their society needed them and that buffered individuals from their own psychological demons. It's interesting to note, to note that a lot of vets do not have um, suicidal uh, ideation or depression in active combat. Those things typically um, beset them when they come home and they're actually not in those difficult circumstances. You could almost argue that, that, that they miss those circumstances. And do you ever think of like with the political process of how it is in the United States now that people rely too much on their tribe, what the tribal thought process and Republican Democrat circles, both that they become too reliant on that tribe? Well, here's the, here's the thing. It, 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 I mean, the, the, the affiliation of tribe has kept humans alive for a very long time. Um, and sometimes it's unfair, the us versus them. But that mm -hmm. kind of mentality is a, a, um, it's a it, it keeps groups, groups safe. Um, the problem right now is that because of certain kinds of political rhetoric, people are literally thinking that their political party is their ultimate affiliation. Mm -hmm. that their affiliation isn't to this great nation. It's to the political party that they happen to belong to. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, when you see it break down like that, I, I, my, my, my father grew up in Europe. He grew up in Spain before the Civil War in 1936. And he fled when the fascists came in. He fled. He was nine years old. He and his family fled. But I started looking into what happened in Spain in 1936. And it is exactly what ha has happened in this country in the sense that one political party, in this case, it was the fascists in Spain, decided that the election that they lost uh, was illegitimate and that they would simply right that wrong with force. And unfortunately, the military was also on their side. In this country, it wasn't. Um, but um, the idea that your party is more important than your nation, um, that will kill democracy. And I, and I do hope that we write our course from that because we're we're headed away from democracy, not towards it. And that's what thousands of American servicemen and women have fought and died for is to preserve our democracy. Mm -hmm. um, what, a, what a pity to lose that. No, I completely agree. And I think your, your, your path has been very interesting. You said that your father had fled and came here because they suspected part of your family to be Jewish and they needed to leave because World War II was about to kick off and they, they needed to get the fuck out of there, which is a smart move on your family's part, no doubt about it. So when you are going through school, your dad's very accomplished, was a physicist, your mother was an artist, and now you are a writer. How do you end up writing the types of things that you do? Like, was it almost like a slippery slope of combat? I can't imagine most people wake up and they're, they're like, I want to go put myself in with combat troops around combat constantly and film this documentary that is in a, an incredibly dangerous place on earth, probably the most dangerous place on earth at the time. Well, I, 
I, throughout my 20s, I was trying to make a living as a freelance writer. It wasn't really working. And I, I wound up getting an amazing job as a climber for tree companies. So I was an arborist and I had worked 60, 70, 80, maybe 100 feet in the air with a chainsaw on a rope, taking trees down in sections. It was very dangerous work. And it doesn't sound like it. If you say arborist, it doesn't sound dangerous. But then when you say what you actually do, yeah. it does sound dangerous. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You're not pruning apple right. trees, right? I mean, what the kinds of work that I was doing, you know, sometimes we're very high up and you're, you're, you're hanging on a rope like a rock climber. You're hanging mm-hmm. on a rope, but you also have a chainsaw and you're taking off huge sections of tree over your head. And if they go the wrong way, they can crush you. And there's um, really, I mean, you can learn how to do it, but there is really nature's unpredictable you think you're cutting it correctly and there might be a knot in the middle it makes it go a completely different direction well yeah i mean the thing about it is that the knot not won't affect you that much a, a um a hollow like a hollow section in a tree is is can be really deadly that's very rare mostly the risks are controllable and if you get hurt and i did get hurt you get hurt just because you made a mistake that's mm-hmm. not true of combat. That's not true of driving. Oh, I disagree. Uh, I'm a Purple Heart recipient. I didn't duck going below a window. So. <laughs> okay, but you can also you can also get hurt. Um, you can also get hurt completely completely randomly. Right? right. I mean, there there was people standing right next to my friend Tim, uh, who didn't get killed. He just happened to catch a piece of shrapnel the size of a quarter in his groin. That's it, and it mm-hmm. happened to hit his femoral. Right. Um, anyway, th- th- there's a random element to combat which is terrifying and tree work all the risks are basically sort of within your control. And if you don't make a mistake, you're going to go home at the end of the day. If you do, do make a mistake like I did, you might cut your leg with a chainsaw or whatever. So, um, but at any rate, it, I, I did get hurt and it made me think about dangerous work and how this nation relies on people doing very, very dangerous jobs, drilling for oil, logging, commercial fishing. It's mostly young men mm-hmm. and it's almost exclusively working class young men, right? So I just thought maybe I'll, you know, as I was recuperating from this wound in my leg, I thought maybe I'll write a book about dangerous jobs. And um, uh, and I was living in the town of Gloucester, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and right around then a huge storm hit and a local sword fishing boat named the Andrea Gale was sunk out at sea. And I thought, okay, I'm living here. I saw that storm. I know people in town. I'm gonna to write about the Andrea Gale as an example of dangerous jobs, and that so my first book was was the perfect storm, and it, it was um, it, it, that was different from my war reporting, but it got me going into this, this idea of dangerous work. And war reporting was another dangerous job I was interested in, and that put me in Bosnia in 1993 during the civil war. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really loved war reporting. And eventually, you know, I was in Afghanistan in '96, uh, documenting the Taliban's takeover of of Afghanistan. And, and then I was back in 2000 with Ahmad Massoud in Badakhshan as he fought the Taliban. And then eventually I was with American soldiers in 05 and 07 uh, as they fought the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. What's the difference of being a, a war reporter embedded with American soldiers versus being embedded with uh, foreign fighters? Well, it depends. You know, the the not much. I mean, there's a sort of paperwork process you kind of have to go through with the U.S. military. Um, you know, and at, you know, I was covered a bunch of civil wars in West Africa, and um, I mean, you have to get some piece of paper stamped at the Ministry of Information, whatever. But basically, it's a pretty um, uh, disorganized process. And you know, as a result of, I mean, as a result, in some of those civil wars in West Africa, I, I not only was I afraid of getting shot by the people that they, my side was fighting, I didn't trust the people I was with either. Mm-hmm. Right? 
right? And and uh, it was just a very very chaotic situation. The the, the combatants were were often very young, like 13, 14 years old. A lot of them were deeply traumatized by the war. Now they had an AK in their hands, and a lot of them were on on drugs and or 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 very very drunk. And so that you know you go through a, a checkpoint of drunk soldiers or high on meth, uh, you know, and are 14 years old. That's terrifying, right? You, there's nothing like that with the U.S. military. Right? No. You, I mean, what, I've seen people like in, in Afghanistan, they've come across marijuana fields and things like that, heard stories. But meth at a checkpoint is a whole yeah. different ballgame. Yeah, it was, I mean, all kinds of craziness that they were doing. Uh, and, and I mean, I was in Liberia during the Civil War. And those, you know, by the end of the day, those kids were whacked out. And so, and those were supposedly the guys that I was with, right? But they were terrifying. And so, you know, with the American military, once you're with them, I mean, you may catch a bullet, but, 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 and if you do, they will take care of you mm-hmm. as if you were a soldier, right? I mean, you get shot in Liberia, you might be getting shot by the guys you're with because they decided they didn't like you and they're not taking, I mean, you know, you're really on your own. You're completely on your own. And that's very, very frightening. Yeah. And there's stories that pop up about that all the time that where people are trying to go report and do the right thing. And the next thing you know, they end up captured and they're captured for a long time, whether it be in Iran or Syria or wherever. I I always find it interesting to talk to journalists who spend a lot of time in combat zones of what your relationship was like in the growing process and how you grow that trust. Because I know for me, whenever we would have a journalist that would be embedded with us, there is that period of time where you don't know this person. You don't know what angle they're going to take in their story. You don't know if they're pro-war, anti-war, pro-military, anti-military. So you're very guarded on the things that you say and the things that you do around them. For somebody in your position trying to make a film like Restrepro, which relies on having the guys open up, how did you approach that? Was it a slow process or did you kind of lay your cards out on the table? You know, we just kept going back. Tim and I just kept going back. So we we each did five trips, sometimes together, sometimes apart. Um, you know, you you know, it's like going to a new high school. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. You just you slowly get to know people, and and if you give them reasons to like you and trust you, eventually they will. And uh, but definitely the first day, in, you know, the first day at school, you don't know where to sit in the cafeteria right. for sure. I mean, there's definitely right. that that aspect to it. But also, we were shooting a lot of video. We were, we the first big firefight we were in. Um, you know, I shot it all on video. Tim wasn't part of the project yet. And, uh, he can't, he started in on the next trip, but I, you know, I showed the guys that we, I was with the video that I'd shot and, and they hadn't really seen themselves in action. And they were able to pick out the firing positions, you know, the positions on the opposite hillside that they were taking fire from, um, they were able to pick those out. So they sort of knew in the future, oh, that's where those are. They, by, by looking at the video, they could sort of tell, oh, that's where we, they were they were shooting at us from, and you know, so there was some uh, utility there for them, and uh, and we just kept showing up, and you know, we I published a first article for Vanity Fair that was entirely reportorial. It didn't judge, it didn't evaluate, it didn't do anything but but describe what life was like at that outpost, and I think they really appreciated the uh, directness and the complete lack of any bias or even opinion about any of this. And uh, so, uh, you know, that, that helped a lot. Which is incredibly rare and writing now to do that. And obviously you formed some, some long lasting relationships in order to have some of these people from Restrepo join you in the process of making your new book and freedom. When you reached out to those soldiers that you wanted to come along with you, 
I imagine like for me, for example, there is certain aspects that about war that I'm glad that I'll never experience again. Like, I just don't want to go back. Some of it really sucked and it was really painful. It was a lot of counseling to get through a lot of that stuff, but there is an aspect of people that you're with in moments like that is irreplaceable. So I would imagine some of the soldiers that you brought with this on your new journey were very excited to have a new source of excitement almost to go through. Yeah. I mean, when I, what I, the way I pitched it was, look, we're going to be, basically, we're going to be high-speed vagrants. We're going to have to dodge the police. We're going to have to carry all our gear. We'll be not quite surviving off the land, but but making our way through a semi-urban, semi-developed, semi-wild environment where you're going to have to use all the skills, the same kinds of skills that you had in combat to keep yourself, maybe not safe, but out of jail for 400 <laughs> miles. And that, like... That definitely like lit, lit them up a bit. That idea, that the idea of that kind of challenge, and um, I think on some other level, the idea that you're with a, you know, you're, you're with a small group of people, four guys having to rely on each other and do everything together, outside of the sort of social world that everyone's struggling in, I think that was uh, that was also very appealing. And so, uh, and these were two guys that I was already fairly close to, and so off we went. And, um, you know, it, it was different, you know, the trip ended up being different than I'd conceived of it as all things are. Uh, but it really was one of the most profound, important things that I've done. And a couple of these other, other of these guys also said that about it. It was an extraordinary trip. And when you have something like this, that you're kind of playing around with, and I, I imagine you have almost those aha moments where it pops into your brain. You're like, let's do this. Like you described going on a train from the, from the point that you're on the train looking out and you have your initial conversations to the actual conducting of what you're trying to do, what does that process look like for you? Do you is, it a, is it a quick thing where you're like, I need to do this and I need to do it now while the idea is hot? No, I, I mean, I had the idea in 08 when we were still making Restrepo. So uh, we weren't going to do anything until we'd finished Restrepo and had finished all the promotion. We Restrepo was nominated for an Oscar. We wound, Tim and I wound up on the red carpet out in LA in uh, February, February of 2011. Um, a few weeks later, we were going to go on assignment to cover, cover the Libyan civil war. The Arab spring was that sort of full boil for journalists. I mean, the U S wasn't involved in anything, but you know, we wanted to cover it. Uh, the last minute I couldn't go. So Tim went on his own and he, and he got himself killed. And so after that, in the, um, in the sort of rubble and aftermath, the psychological, the emotional rubble, the aftermath for me of his death, um, I sort of re resurrected that idea. And I was like, ah, oh, I won't do it with Tim. I'll do it because of Tim, mm -hmm. right? And I said, man, I just need a timeout. You know, my, my life was changing. Um, you know, my personal life was changing pretty significantly. Um, my, you know, my marriage was ending and um, I, I had some things to sort out. And there's no there's no better way to sort things out than by walking a long way with a heavy load. Yeah, that's true because you don't you eventually forget all the other things. The only thing you can care about is that heavy load. Like, so it does kind of move it all naturally. Um, I, I think your story is fascinating. What's, what's next for you? Because this process has been for a while. You've had you, your documentary is in, in the rear view mirror for the most part. Now, what do you have working on the boilerplate? Um, well, I, you know, but most of my books have been about something that happened. So the, the perfect storm was about a, a storm and a boat that sank. A death in Belmont was about a murder in, in 
early 1960s that connected to my family. War, of course, was about a deployment. Um, mm. The last two books, Tribe and Freedom, are, are about an idea. Um, so in Freedom, I, you know, I, what I, well, A, I realized that the freest I'd ever been was on this patrol. Like, and as I say in the book, most nights we were the only people who knew where we were. That's a very profound form of freedom. Um, but also I wanted to inquire what allows humans to be free. And basically that means how do you remain autonomous from, a, from somebody or a group that's more powerful than you are? If you're the most powerful group, freedom's a, a non-issue, right? But how do you maintain your freedom in the face of a person or a group that's more powerful than you are? And humans are able to do that. Other species really are not. If you're the alpha, alpha male in chimpanzee society, you pretty much run the show. Uh, with humans, that's not true. And I wanted to figure out why. And I sort of divided. I am getting to your question, but I feel like I had to. I had to sort no, of. No, it's like, fascinating. I took some anthropology courses in school too, and I love this. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Um, so I will get to the next project. But basically, for freedom, I, I, I narrowed down the things you you can do to maintain your autonomy in the face of a more powerful adversary. Uh, I narrowed them down to three, three things. Uh, you can outrun your oppressor. If you can't outrun your oppressor, you can try to outfight him. And if you can't outfight him, you're going to have to outthink him. So the book is divided into run, fight, and think. Um, and I mean those things very literally. Like one of the reasons that Taliban were, I, don't, I wouldn't say they defeated America, but they certainly failed to lose to America. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons is they're, they're so mobile. Right, like they don't have tanks, they don't have air, aircraft, air force, they don't, they don't have artillery. They just really moved around, like right. And they're like, the Afghanistan and, version of the Minutemen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So the, 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 the interesting thing, whether you're on a you know individual level, like a small guy fighting a large guy. I mean, obviously size and strength can dominate, but they also come with size and strength also come with a downside. And the downside is that if you're bigger and stronger. Be, be it an army or an individual, if you're bigger and stronger, you're generally slower, you're slower to react, and you use more energy. So a guy who weighs 260 pounds fighting a guy who weighs 200 pounds, if he doesn't win in the first few minutes, he's smoked, mm -hmm. right? And so the whole strategy of the smaller person, and that's in, this is in MMA, it's on the battlefields of Afghanistan, the, it's it's the Montenegrins fighting the Ottoman Empire in the 1600s. Doesn't matter if you're the small guy. You just have to avoid losing for a long enough until the big guy has run out of steam, and that yeah. will happen. You see that quickly. in pride fighting. I mean, back in the day, I used to be a huge pride fighter. Bob Sapp was this monster of a man, and he fought a guy that was just a Muay Thai fighter, weighed like 180 pounds versus Bob Sapp's 320. And all he would come in and do pop shots to Bob Sapp's thigh. Eventually, Bob Sapp, he just went on the ground and started tapping out because he couldn't handle it anymore. Right, right. So I looked at MMA. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of martial arts that are basically substitutes for a street corner fistfight, which is mm -hmm. hard to study because they happen very randomly. But you can look at martial arts. And um, a statistician for ESPN sort of delved into the numbers for me. And he said that the the larger adversary in an MMA fight wins um, 50% of the time, right? So being larger and stronger is not a predictor of who's going to win. That's true for humans. It's really not true for other animals. 
the biggest chimp will beat up smaller chimps. In fact, it's so clear what the outcome is going to be that when they that all it takes for a larger chimp to win a face-off is to do a kind of dominance display, and the mm-hmm. and the smaller chimp is like, I don't want any piece of this. And mm-hmm. but with humans and the smaller person um, uh, or the smaller group can sometimes win, and that means that small groups or small people can um, negotiate for their freedom with a more powerful entity. And that means that the empire does not always win. It means that the American uh, insurgents in 1776 can defeat the the British empire. It's amazing, right? right? We won, we did it. Um, And so, so, but then eventually you're in a society, America of the 20th century, um, where it's a democracy, but there's a real holes in it, right? Like the the, uh, labor laws were, I mean, there were no labor laws. There was a widespread exploitation of the labor force um, and in ways that we would find absolutely appalling right now. Children and, smoking cigarettes outside of coal mines and things like that. Exactly, exactly. I mean, the mortality rate for infants in the uh, labor force communities, like around the, the textile mills in Massachusetts, uh, the more, I mean, it's just, it chokes me up to say it. I mean, I have two young children. The, the, the mortality rate for, for young children in, in those groups was one in five infants wow. died that's how that's how bad the conditions were um and this this is where you get you know out thinking your opponent i mean of course these are you know you're a bunch of immigrant laborers in a textile mill they're not more powerful than the you the, the massachusetts national guard and the u.s government but eventually they won they won their fight and they got better conditions and they did it partly by outthinking their adversaries and, and and as one and by using women they enlisted women in the movement and as soon as you put women in a front line, I mean, literally in a front line in a, in a street rally, um, the police are way more hesitant to use deadly force. Mm-hmm. And they, they will do it, but they're way more hesitant to, and the political repercussions are enormous. And one, one, and us one, too, realistically. That's the reason why we send out pamphlets like women and children, please leave. Like, we don't want any part of that. That's the reason why rules of engagement will say military age males. Like, you don't want to be. The one right. on TV that's taken out an elderly man that even if he has a suicide vest on, you don't want any of right. that stuff like coming out. Right, exactly. And if you do just start massacre, you know, had the Massachusetts National Guard just mowed down all the women uh, in the in the in the mill strikes in Lawrence. I mean, they're happy to beat up the guys, but if they turn their bayonets on the women and they had fixed bayonets, the outcry would have been enormous, right? I mean, the government would have lost the fight right there, right? So so what the, the 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 labor movement did, what the strikers did, was put women on the front line. And one 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 uh, police captain said, you know, in frustration, he said, and this really says it all. Uh, he said, one good cop can handle ten men, but it takes ten cops to handle one woman. And so that's Must at that level. My wife. <laughs> right. <laughs> at that level of strategic thinking. A, a, a um, underpowered social movement or labor movement can actually be victorious against, uh, a, you know, at the time, a quite an oppressive system. And so at any rate, that's the sort of synopsis of my book, Freedom, interwoven with this bizarre trip that we took along the railroad lines. Um, my next project, I, I had the fortune or good fortune, and I'm still not sure which it is, of almost dying last summer, um, having dodged plenty of bullets overseas. Um, I had an undiagnosed aneurysm in my pancreatic artery and a situation symptomless that had been there for decades. 
not related to anything. And out of the blue, it ruptured with no warning. It ruptured uh, one beautiful June afternoon. I was in Massachusetts, in a sort of remote area, and uh, and I basically bled out. Uh, I, I lost 90% of my blood into my abdomen. And wow. um, it took him an hour and a half to get me to the hospital. And, you know, by then I was in this sort of twilight zone between life and death. And I mm -hmm. have absolutely, I have fairly distinct memories from that moment, from those moments, uh, including my dead father appearing and trying to console me. And um, I was getting pulled into a black hole that I didn't want to go into. And he popped up and started to console me. And, and the last thing I said to the doctor was, you guys got to hurry. You're losing me right now. And um, they managed to save me. They put 10 units of blood into me. They found the leak, eventually found the leak. They saved me, but barely. And uh, I want to, um, I want to write a, I'm going to write a book called Pulse about, um, you know, basically what it is that keeps us alive and, and what it's like to die, what it means to die. You're um, so good at finding just that one word that is so loaded, war, freedom, right. <laughs> tribe. Like it's right. just such loaded words and you pick on that one word and you're like, well, fuck, I got to see what this is about. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll try I never would have, you know, had this not happened to me, you know, I have two young children and the, the main trauma of this, and it was extremely traumatic, it was way more traumatic than combat, was that I'd almost left my children. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm okay with dying. I mean, really, I, dying is easy. I mean, I realized as I was sort of halfway there, I had one, one foot in the another world, right? You know, and I was like, I realized dying is just step, you half step to the left, and there you go. And it's really the simplest thing in the world. What made it way more complicated and painful for me was that the, the repercussions that it would have had for my two little girls. And yep. um, so I, I, um, I, you know, I'm a writer and I want to write about that stuff. And, and, and what I, what, the gift of it was that in a way that, I mean, I've had a bullet smack next to my forehead into a stand bag, you know, I mean, I, I've had close calls. None of it quite gave me the appreciation for life. And by life, I mean, just the fact that you're alive, mm. um, that this experience did. And what keeps all of us alive is literally the thinnest membranes you can imagine. I mean, it's the thickness of an artery wall. And that you get a rip in one of those, you're dead in an hour or less. And, um, you know, I started, you know, within minutes, I couldn't stand up and started going blind. I mean, that thing ripped. And within minutes, I was, forget it, I was done. I couldn't even crawl. And uh, my wife saved my life. Uh, so, so, you know, afterwards, when I met, you know, when I woke up the next day and I was still alive at a gift that life is, and I don't mean that in a religious, I'm not religious, but just the gift that you get to be alive, that that, like, that, that, that you get to think, to, to think and feel and exist is so staggering. It's such a crazy thing. And that's, that's the gift that that incident was. And it came at a huge cost, but I want to write about all of that. And I think you nailed it. That's exactly what went through my head because you have, before you have like a real near death experience, you kind of do wonder like what's going to go through your head. I, I think that's the human condition where you wonder what's yeah. next. I think that's the reason why people rely on philosophies or religion and things like that, because we don't know. It's the great unknown that we don't, that no one has any idea because nobody really comes back unless you believe the tales of Lazarus and Jesus. Like nobody comes back from that point of being dead to being alive. 
when I sat underneath a stairwell in Fallujah after a bullet ripped through my arm, the only thing I thought about was, will I be able to hold my daughter with both arms again? Will she be embarrassed whenever I walk across when she goes to high school graduation? Like those things are the things that stay with you. And it gives you a different level of appreciation for the rest of your life about what's big, what's a big deal, what's not a big deal. And I think that really that is the gift that you're talking about is that you have the ability to really reframe your mind and think, well, sure, my team lost, but I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like things that were a big deal no longer are. Yeah, it's this basic sense of gratitude. Um, uh, and you can have gratitude in a sort of religious or Christian context. And, and you could also be an atheist. I mean, I'm an atheist and I'm enormously grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, my gratitude of being alive and to be able to be a, a father to my children is my gratitude is, is, is bottomless. I mean, I, I, you know, it just, there's no end to it. And, you know, parenting's hard, right? I mean, definitely sometimes you're like, you know, stop throwing the Cheerios around the you know, like, I mean, whatever you can get into right. afraid, you know, you get, your nerves can get afraid. You can get into a sort of bent place. Or when and your now, wife is like Sebastian, you take the trash out, and you're like, "I'm doing but, something right now." Like, "Oh, well, you wouldn't be here to do that if I was if it wasn't for me." <laughs> right? Yeah. No. Ex- no. Exactly. And so now I just think, you know, as you feel that frustration rise in anything, I just think, "Hey, stop!" Like you almost didn't get to experience any of this. Mm-hmm. You know, the the movie of your life almost ended on June 16th. Like, like this is all, you know, this is all extra. So, uh, you know, that do it with a good heart. Like, and. And it's very, it's very, very effective. And I, you know, I mean, not to sort of like jump or switch horses, but I think it's important for a moment. We are incredibly lucky to live in the United States. I've worked all over the world in most societies that I've worked in, people are terrified of their own military um, and terrified of their political leadership. And we live in a democracy. It is the most precious thing in the world. Uh, and um, I feel like one of the things that might actually heal our political wounds, our psychic wounds from the last years uh, of trauma to this country um, is if we all figure out Republicans and Democrats alike, because, you know, I mean, I'm a Democrat, I vote Demo- Democratic, but I have huge criticisms of the Democratic Party as well. Same. One of the things we all have to do is refine a sense of profound gratitude for the fact that we live in a democracy. Um, and, uh, you know, Liz Cheney standing up to Donald Trump about the big lie about the uh, stolen election, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm a Democrat. I'm never going to vote for Liz Cheney, right? She's a Republican and it works that way. But my God, do I admire her. Right. My God, am I grateful to her? And, and we need, she, she is, exp- she is experiencing gratitude for the amazing country that she lives in. And she knows how easy it is to destroy it. And she will not let it happen. And God bless her. Uh, the old adage is true. You have a democracy if you can keep it. And it's something that you have to work towards every single day. I think we've wet people whistle about the Pulse book, but don't forget to check out Freedom. It comes out May 14th, correct? Another day? Uh, May 18, yeah. Uh, May Freedom 18. comes out May 18, yeah. Make sure you check that out. Do you have any specific spot that you want people to get it from? Like, I know a lot of writers are like, don't get it from Amazon, get it from someplace else. Uh, small bookstores, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I live in New York City and, and my local bookstore is The Strand um, off the top of my head. I don't know what the website is. I'm sure it's really easy to find The Strand, S-T-R-A-N-D. Uh, and I would love it and they would love it if you ordered for them. But, you know, whatever works for you.
There you go. Sebastian, thanks so much. We'll have to have you in the office when I get back up to New York City. We'd love to sit down with you again. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. Uh, All right. good, luck with, good luck with your work. Thank you. Appreciate that. Have a good day. Nice, dude. And I will say this, too. Sebastian Unger, he's a big name in the military community, lots of vets. I think that I would say of people who get out, Tribe is probably one of the most Mm. books after people get out. If you haven't, read it. It'll give you some pretty good insight. We talked a little bit about that in the interview there. But I, he was so accommodating. I had to change schedules on him like three or four times. We did this interview before and I had to hold it till his book was released. So yep, go, go get it. But it was right when I was in the middle of moving, all kinds of stuff was happening family. So I just kept moving the interview and I'm like, this guy's going to think I'm big time him. I got on the phone with him. Incredibly nice. One day I had completely forgot. He called me. I was at a psychologist's office and I was like, hello. He's like, Hey, it's Sebastian. We're going to do this interview. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, uh, yeah, not great. Uh, but that was a great mm. interview anyway. Let's move on to round number six, which is going to be brought to you by our good friends at BetterHelp. We talked about them at the top of the show, but if you need some help, go to betterhelp.com slash zero. They're going to listen to you if you're dealing with some PTS, some post-traumatic stress, if you're dealing with anxiety, depression. They have actual professionals. I always appreciate when people reach out to us in the DMs and they, they want our advice about how we did things. And I think empathy goes a long way, especially in the military community when some, somebody has gone through the same exact type of road that you have. Yeah. Getting that, like you're my peer, get that advice. That's great. Also, you need to be seeing a professional because that is not what we are. We are a bunch of fucking dummies. We don't give you professional advice. These people do, and they're going to give it to you at betterhelp.com slash zero. You're going to get 10% off your first month if you do that as well. So this little segment we're going to do, it's a little bit of Firewatch. Firewatch, as a reminder, is the duty that you stand. Mainly Firewatch is in the field. If you're like a, when you're doing field training, you'll have Firewatch. And when you're in the, when you're in boot camp, you have Firewatch. Uh, which is essentially you're the guard like that's walking around. Firewatch is in charge of making sure all the people, all the weapons, and all the gear is taken care of. Nobody comes and steals it or anything like that. So we're going to sign a little bit of Firewatch. Kate, um, what? who do you want to have Firewatch? Um, I would say Colic. Can I give Colic Firewatch? Yeah. <laughs> it's sure like can. A, sure I don't can. quite know what it is, but it's a mysterious thing that makes babies cry a lot. It's just and- gas. It makes me feel like a comedian who's bombing on stage. I, I'm like dancing in front of them. I'm playing music. I'm, I, I got the toys out. I'm reading books. I'm doing goofy faces. I've been doing like, uh, like I'm on Molly at the club with my hands in his face. Like, hey, check this like out. Like a TikTok dancer. You're basically uh, Addison Ray. Addison Ray. I've been running nice, perfectly lukewarm water over his head. Who doesn't calm down when you're getting your hair? A nice shampoo. You might hate that. He might hate it. That could be what it is. He's probably uh, like, oh, he I know be- she's about to do that thing again. Yeah. I fucking hate it. He, he, maybe Don't he, do it. Maybe he's a shower guy. He's not a bath guy. He might oh, be a shower guy. Kate, I have a task for you. Uh-oh. I saw somebody on TikTok do it. Top five I've laughed on with three cheat in my life. <laughs> there is a woman who just had a baby. Their baby is like two and a half months old. And every picture she photoshops teeth. <laughs> the the baby. Baby. so when he's just like hanging out he's got like big toothy grin yeah you gotta start doing that with cash done consider it done my friend consider it done this huge like what one time they put nick nolte's teeth on there okay i'm on it so i'm giving crying firewatch 
while he's on Firewatch, I have to accompany him on Firewatch. I can't even let him do it by himself. Crying. He's a duty. He's a du- so we will be photoshopping teeth while we are covering that Firewatch. You'll have plenty of time. Cons, what do you got? Yeah, so I, I had I saw this tweet uh, the other day, and it was from this guy. I don't even know who this dude is, but his name's Elijah Schaefer, and he said, "Gays are celebrated for a full month, while veterans only get one day." Something needs to change. Oh, so God. Elijah's on Firewatch for that. The opposite of Firewatch. What's the opposite of Firewatch? A ninety-six. Libo. Yeah. A Libo. Li- also, you know, by the way, whatever. we do have a month. It's Military Appreciation Month, and it's May. And we have an entire yeah. year of hero worship every year. <laughs> Blind hero worship. All we no, have the GI Bill. Well, yeah. We can't decry that after what everybody else went through. We can't say that it's bad. We can't do that. I'm not mad at it. I'm just saying we get enough. But yeah. I gotta give uh, I gotta give a, a friend of the program, Terrence Avery. He he quote tweeted that and he goes, "Give the gays a 10 percent lowest discount too." But yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> there you go. Uh, do you have your gay discount card? I <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh shit! I forgot mine at home. Can you pull it up at my phone number? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I always have to do. I never have that Milo's card. Uh, mine is a dude. So this has been happening in San Antonio. I don't know if it's happening there. There's these fobs. You can even get them on like Amazon, where they can figure out the code to unlock modern cars because they all like go on a, a frequency, and they work. Like recently we were in, a, we were at the Costco parking spot and our Tahoe locks whenever you walk away with the key, like it automatically locks for you. You don't have to do it. It'll lock for you. And whenever we went inside, somebody went into the backseat of the Tahoe, took McCartney's backpack, which is mm. just like a little kid's backpack. It's like the little drawstring one in there. The only thing that was in there was like a flip phone that would make Andrew Luck happy. Like it was just this <laughs> right. shitty phone in case they're up the street and I need to come so I don't have to walk my lazy ass and go get them. They'll right. come on that way. And a shit ton of Pokemon cards because when McCartney gets off the bus, their pal Adam trading cards all day, every day. They're just going back and forth. They stole all McCartney's Pokemon cards. No. And that's it, like gold damn. to a kid. Fuck. It was. And they, it's been over like 18 months or so those fuckers are expensive too like the new packs are, are they? like yeah. $75 for some of these packs Damn. and McCartney came in like oh did you find it is it there I'm like no babe it's, it's gone it's gone forever cried so hard never cried I'm like I can't believe I lost I lost my Snorax I lost Pikachu oh my like going through all the different ones like not this one and go like, this one was so rare but I will say the Pokemon community is coming in the clutch. So I'm going to give out some Libo too. There's a couple Pokemon masters, which I didn't know that you could be a master in Pokemon, that are sending cards, like that have reached out to me and DM me. And they're like, I, I have a huge collection. Or just people in the Barstool community who have had cards that are just in their parents' attic or whatever. And like, these aren't worth anything. All of them are cheap cards, but I'll send them. Like yeah. binders full of cards that people are sending. Incredibly nice after such Good. a shitty weekend. Good. That's awesome. And this is my first trip back because it's the first show we've done since I got back. Baby Del Wuhu was so excited to see me. Good. I thought I was gone forever. (laughs) That's That's fantastic. What about Nick? You got any Firewatch you want to give out? I put the uh, the Knicks on Firewatch. Oh, Oh, yeah. They blew it it last night. I watched that. uh, that. It was an exciting game, but they blew it in the end. You don't want to put Trey Young on Firewatch? 
No, I mean, he won. You know, I'm not mad at people that, that show up and perform. You know, I'm more mad at the team that. I'm a Knicks fan. Yeah, they, to live out too. they had a chance to win. It was either the Knicks or Frank the Tank, but I'm going to go with the Knicks for today. Yeah. <laughs> well, what Frank do? He's just negative and the Mets are in first, then, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's just. When Clem is fed up with your shit. I saw that. Enough. Like when Clem, yeah. like, listen, this is, it's enough. Yeah, he's but, the he's the positivity, uh, you know, uh-huh. boss. Yep. All right, we'll see you. I guess we'll see you next Tuesday. Ooh, yeah. Save rounds. Fun talk. Oh yeah, save rounds. <laughs> I gotta tell you. Uh, so I was at a wedding on Saturday. Man, I I I do things at weddings because I got one speed. You know, I get out there, I get on the dance floor, I rip it up, put the bride on my shoulders, put the groom on my shoulders, jumping up and down. And then yesterday, I was like, damn, I'm kind of sore. I don't, I don't, I don't have it like I used to, and it's just oh, yeah. kind of tough to admit that, to admit that out loud that I, I'm, yeah, I'm no. sore from putting people on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. So, but no, you know what? I'm not getting old. That just means I gotta, get, I gotta work harder in the gym. So I'm ready for next wedding. That's Hashtag all that means. Grind. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. So, all right. uh, we'll be back here whenever we're back here. Southern retreat. <laughs>